0: Alright, this is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! Woo! We have a fantastic guest, we have Mallory Somera. She's an actress, she's a teacher, and she's been involved in radio broadcasting, and we're happy to have her. Hey Mallory, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thank you for having me.
0: How are you? Doing good. Uh, we uh, we did a recording last week and um, things got screwed up. Uh, it's it's a new technology to learn how to use Zoom and all of that sort of stuff. So it's a learning curve. I think everyone is going through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, everything is working just fine now. I'm going to close that out. But um.
2: And I'm um, Reg. I'm going to encourage you to face the light more.
0: Yeah, I don't want to do a lot of, I don't want to do a lot of moving around. Get into
1: your light. Step into the spotlight.
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay, here we go. So um, so how, how is, how's everybody doing? How's everybody handling the COVID-19 thing? Uh, you know, things are lifting up, so... Um, are they? <laughs> well, I mean, there are, there are states that are lifting their quarantine. Right. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, have things improved for
2: uh, either one of you? I'm, I'm not going out anywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm... I think I'm going to stay in as much as I can, and um, I know that my workplace, uh, where I'm working at KCBS, um, where I'm a producer and writer, um, I think we're going to be doing the remote thing at least, I, I, I know it's going to be at least until the end of September. Right. Um. And so I'll probably continue to go in uh, once, twice, three times a week, uh, depending on the on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I think I'm going to be working from home. So okay. I'm going to try to take advantage of that as much as possible because I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's that's the real problem. No one really knows. For those who don't know, Maori, not only are you a uh, an actress. Well, I know you from on stage. You're a producer and a writer for uh, KCBS. You've also worked for KACL. I'm sorry, KACRLP, mm-hmm. Community Radio. Yes. And yeah. uh, Norman and I we were talking before you got on. Uh, Norman Merton met with uh, Jeannie, and of course, you've worked with Jeannie on her uh, book.
1: Yeah, I, I've worked with Jeannie a couple of times. Um, I've learned a lot from her and I met her when I was really young. Of course my, my mom um, Erlina Samara she she and Jeannie worked together a lot and as I grew older and um, started collecting all of these different skills, I realized that I could help out and um, be involved in theater still in a way that uh, utilized everything that I was learning and so I started, um, archiving for Jeannie. I helped her out for a couple of years so that she could... um,
2: Right, when she was getting her collection ready for Stanford, right?
1: For Stanford, yeah. So I I spent basically two years in her house um, once every couple of weeks and sifted through, um, you know, old drafts of plays and cast photos and... Uh, Stage designs and everything and we categorized them and wrote notes and got them all together in these um, Big bins and packages for Stanford. Um, So that took a couple of years and now I'm helping her out with her book uh, Katatagan and it's about Bay Area uh, Filipino American Bay Area eater. So um, that's really exciting. So I'm going to be doing some contributing writing and I'm helping her also kind of like archive and document the process um, and also going through some like publishing things with her as well.
0: Mm. Now that is fantastic and um, you know having talked to Jeannie you know I remember she had talked about submitting her stuff to Sanford and it's such a wonderful thing you know she's part of history a part of uh, Philippine American history and I imagine going through all of those uh, archives you got a bit of history as well you learned I'm sure you learned a great deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, you know, working with her and then also just growing up in the theater scene in the Bay Area. Um, I've been a part of it, uh, at, in some, you know, capacity since I was, since I was two. So, yeah. um, my mom was at SF state, uh, going to school for journalism and then found the theater department. And I was two when she did that. And that's when she met you, Norman. Um, and she's Mm. been acting ever since. So I've been running around, you know, green rooms and backstage and on stage and in the audience and, um, just kind of learning everything. And it was, um, it was so cool to be, uh, a part of a world where people who looked like me were on stage and producing and directing and writing. Um, and I didn't, See that anywhere else except for in my immediate life. So, um, so yeah, I just I learned a lot that way, and of course, with my mom being you know involved in activism and in theater, um, I just learned a lot. It was really fun.
0: No, that's awesome, and we'll learn uh, more about you. We're not going to go through a lot of the stuff that we went through last week because I, uh, you know, I think we want to talk more about how theater has influenced what you're doing now with radio and broadcasting. Yeah,
2: Yeah, we can touch on it. Sounds good.
0: Yep. Norman, as I begin every uh, podcast, how was your week? And how's Mara? It's so
2: quick. I mean, look at this. We're almost at the end of May. Can you believe this?
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, May is almost done.
2: And, you know, it's just been another another week in the craziness. Yeah, you can see behind me that I've um, been teaching um, these uh, third graders playmaking. And so we're at that point in the process where there's not a lot more for me to teach at this point. It's more like you guys need to do it and I can help you. I can make adjustments and give you feedback. But, you know, we're, we're, I'm coming to the end of the process. Um, graduation is big in our house. Um, excuse me, Dexter just got his cap and gown. Nice. Uh, the school is still figuring out what version of a virtual graduation they're going to do. And Dexter is figuring out whether or not that's something he thinks he wants to do. And, you know, it sounds weird to be in this situation, but when you look at it, it's really what we all went through. I Graduation was more like, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I felt like I worked hard and I was ready to graduate. I'm sure from my parents' perspective, it was more like, you just spend all your time running around with your friends. You're barely getting anything done. You're dropping classes. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to do the work, and I don't want it to affect my GPA, so I'm just dropping the class. Yeah, I don't need it to graduate. I'm, You know, yeah. that senioritis turns into this moment, and this is really just a chance for us, the family, and everybody else to kind of go, you did it. Yay, we're so happy. yeah, And for the school to go, see ya, Bye. Yeah. yeah.
0: You're also teaching also, uh, Mallory, aren't you?
1: Yeah, and so we're, we're coming to the end of the school year. Um, I was uh, teaching at Bayview Elementary, so as a part of a 24-week residency with the Quinon Street Project, which is based out of Pinole, and it brings drama class, performance class to public school classrooms in West Contra Costa County. Um, I started with them last year when I first moved back to the Bay and uh, taught with 7th and 8th graders at Dijon Middle School in Richmond. And um, for the past 24 weeks, I've been working with uh, elementary school uh, students at Bayview in in San Pablo. Um, lots of classes yeah lots of classes five classes a day with Ah. 20 to 25 kids in each class um Mm -hmm. grades pre-k through sixth grade um you know all kids who are brilliant and are still learning how to channel their energy um into things
0: how i mean uh for both of you how is the challenge of teaching Remotely, because obviously, you know, for the last two months, I imagine you've had to do it all via Zoom or, you know, via remotely. You guys there?
1: Yeah. So, I I know that um some classes uh, are being taught over Zoom, um, over live video, but uh, I think that with the, some of my students uh, perhaps have limited access to Mm. that technology and so what i've been doing is i've been videotaping and editing um so i'll add like words and i'll uh describe the different activities and then i'll even do the activities with myself like i'll act in the scenes by myself and then put on glasses and then cut away and you know (laughs) do stuff like that (laughs) It's it's a little dorky, but it's uh you do what you gotta do.
0: Yeah. Look, Norm, Norman, how's it been for you? Teaching via, you know, Zoom?
2: I hate it. But <laughs> yeah. I just got another offer for a job. I just applied. I Tuesday I have a, an interview
0: mm-hmm.
2: for um a job in the fall. I'm not clear on whether or not this is going to be uh, virtual or in person. If they want me to direct a show Virtually, remotely, it's not happening. <laughs> I'm like, no,
0: nah, I, I just can't imagine
2: yeah. that at all. Actually, People they, doing it, but I, ugh, I just. You know, how can I've you been get any nuance. How can you get anything?
0: Yeah, I've been in productions where, let's say, the director is in LA or somewhere, and someone just shoots, you know, a video of what's happening, and uh, it's
2: hit and miss. Right. I think you miss so much. So no, I'm not. I'm not enjoying it. Um, I guess I'm getting more done than I, than it, than it feels like to me, uh, the feedback I'm getting is that we're getting good work done. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Okay,
2: good.
1: I, I miss getting that live feedback from the kids, mm-hmm. um, because there's, there, there's so much going on in here and yeah. I love hearing their stories and like what they have to say. And, they're much more interesting than any stories that I could you know, come up with off the top of the head. Cause they're, they're young and they're fresh. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I miss that a lot. Um, so it's, I kind of, you know, I'm just thinking about it now. It's kind of like the difference between, you can hear the difference between, you know, I really, I love music. It's, it, it's like when rappers started to email each other verses and beats, oh, like, oh. you can hear it. Um, versus when you can tell that they're working on the record together in the studio.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can like feel you... the vibe. I didn't know they were doing that. Well, I'm i an old school, so. But They've yeah. been doing uh... that for
1: like the past, I'm going to say like twelve, twelve 12 years or so. Yeah, um, yeah that's that's been a thing.
0: <laughs> but I've even heard in film where let's say two people, they're not together either because of technical reasons or they just don't like each other. Mm-hmm. And they act, let's say the camera shoots one person, then, they, you know, they shoots the other person. You think they're together, but they're not together. So, right. and you can tell the difference.
2: You can. Yeah. No, I, it's doable and I know it's doable, but uh, there've been a couple of things. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about current events, but um, this week I, there were two articles that I read that I loved and recommend highly. Mm-hmm. One is by a guy who was the ex director, executive director of the CDC. Mm. brilliant article and the other is by this journalist and i don't know either of their names but the journalist it's easy to look her up she won a pulitzer prize for her coverage of the ebola outbreak um she started her journalism career covering hiv Mm. and she has gotten labeled the cassandra of -hmm. pandemics because she says wow this is going on she does a really good job of of researching it and communicating what's happening, and she's that voice that just doesn't really get heard or doesn't get paid attention to, and then afterwards people point and go, wow, she knew what she was talking about, Mm -hmm. and she said really clearly, we're talking three to four years before there's any kind of stability, and what's going to happen between now and then is exactly what's happening right now. Uh, All those churches that opened up a couple of weeks ago, they're closed again because people are infected and dying. In the hospital. Yeah. Um, all this shit that's opening up right now, give it two or three weeks. We're going to see it all closed down again. Reg was saying before we got on that um, he's going to be back on a regular schedule. But, you know, what are the rules going to be? What are the protocols? going to be wearing a mask. How many people are going to be around? Jeannie's husband, they're working in teams now. So they're two days on, two days off, mm-hmm. the same team same people so that you're only interacting you minimize the number of people that you're interacting with everybody oh, else you interact with remotely yeah that's mm-hmm. very
0: smart yeah it's going to be interesting i mean you know that's part of the current events i mean you know trump i think you know trump is doing he's he's using these um these uh, these uh press conferences as sort of a political game of chess. right and now he's bringing religion into it he's basically saying well I don't care what the governors say, we're going to open up the churches. Basically, right. saying anyone who goes against that is going against God. And you right. tweak that into something political. And it's really, really horrible. I mean, I've, I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. I mean.
2: Well, how are church people going to feel? How do the church people it's already happened to feel? They wanted their relationship with God. They went to church. Bam, pastor's sick. Bam, other members are sick. Your family members are sick. They're in the hospital. Are you going to take your butt back to church? I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's already been a pastor who died who basically says, well, God will save me from COVID-19. Right. And of course he's passed away. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, but you know, the church that uh, in DC where I grew up, Metropolitan Baptist Church, they said, listen, we're going to do everything virtually, and there's mm-hmm. no big deal. Yeah. So.
1: There is a, a church in East Oakland that is actually uh, they're starting to set up drive-in services. Yeah. Um so that should be that should be interesting and I think that it's a good alternative to being in person and and being in church and it's interesting yep. that um you know Trump is saying all of these things and trying to vouch for religious folks but you know I don't think he could quote anything from the Bible
2: Well exactly he's one you of know? the one he did um yeah was it K- Kings Two? No. What was it? There was some where he just he didn't even know how to cite the reference. I don't like yeah. You. yeah, yeah.
1: And actually, there was um there was a poll that just came out. I actually did, I did a story about it this morning. Um, I was I just came home from work, and one of the interviews that I set up today was about um the fact that you know Trump he's trying to uh, appeal to the conservative, the religious conservatives, but. Right his popularity and his approval rate amongst them is actually declining. Yeah. Um, yeah especially true. with how he's been handling things over the last couple of months. So he's, he's trying to appeal to that crowd, but he's, uh, he's going to need to do more
0: right. <laughs> or less. He doesn't know the language. And uh, I mean, this is, we talked about this before Norman about the, the great awakenings. there have been four great awakenings in America. Right. Fourth great awakening is televangelism, the mixture of religion and politics, and I think Nixon sort of uh, pioneered that as far as politicians basically saying to parishioners, "Hey, I will vote. I will vote on your values if you vote for me." And right. You have this unholy alliance, and Trump is trying to tap into that, especially with his numbers going down. Mm-hmm. You know, with every all of these COVID numbers every day, CNN and a lot of newspapers have these numbers saying how many people have been affected, how many people have died. And very few articles about how wonderful a job Trump is doing. So his numbers going down. So this is a, this is a strategy that he's doing. And he has yep. a secretary who is just, com- you know, just being very combative against mm-hmm. uh, the reporters.
2: Oh, the press secretary. She's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Man, they picked <laughs> well, the right person. She's right in line with everything that's been happening.
0: The far right lover. I mean, you know, we, you know, we think it's ridiculous, but the far right lover. Mm-hmm. Now here's a question. Um, now we are getting into current events. So Biden, I've got to talk about Biden and mm-hmm. did you hear this, this quote that he, I guess he had interviewed uh, he named the God really black. Yeah. Did you hear about yeah. this? Story?
1: I did. And that was another interview that I actually booked for today. Um, <laughs> oh, what was the interview? We, huh? What,
2: who, what interview? Who, who's the interview? So
1: we, uh, we spoke with, um, he's a political, uh, political science professor from university of san francisco and his name is james l taylor Mm -hmm. um very passionate gentleman and um you know basically he was like this is much ado about nothing like this is yeah it was um and this is me quoting him and saying what he said um he was Mm -hmm. like you know yes this was offensive but i feel like it, it kind of pales in comparison to what's happening right now. Right. And, um, you know, he basically said uh, Biden largely has the black vote and that him, he actually thought that this was a good kind of PR move um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and thought that it was ridiculous because I I don't know if you've heard, but the Trump, campaign his team has now created like shirts and hats that say hashtag you ain't black
0: right um, oh, interesting.
1: yeah so now they're trying to like, like twist it around I think they spent like a million bucks on this campaign mm-hmm. um and so i I am not in the position to like you know um say one thing or another but i I do think that um it wasn't terrible press for him um, from, yeah, just from like a, a marketing or, you know, that kind of standpoint, um, I did think
0: it was offensive.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. Twitter went nuts that first day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know, it was delayed. I think I may have heard it about it a day later, but I did read the context and it was sort of in jest. I mean, he's having an interview with a, a rapper sure and so within the context of that you can sort of see that Biden's sort of kind of joking right but any any, any uh, ammunition you give to the off the side mm-hmm. is dangerous and also there's a millennial generation this new generation of black folks who are not you know they, they may not be into rap hip hop or whatever there's sort of right. you know a nerdy um, uh, group of uh, millennials yeah. who are very very sensitive
1: yeah. about
0: all sorts of things and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll I, see Huh
2: I said we'll see,
0: yeah, yeah, we'll definitely see i I don't think I mean it's Biden has to be very careful about what he says, but I think if you're going to make a mistake, do it now rather than later, and it pales comparison to trump I think uh, that
1: he he you know he does what um I think many people uh do, and you know he did end up apologizing, saying perhaps I was uh, too cavalier, right and he was um. And but it's not an unfamiliar, I think, performative thing that he did, yep. which is to like slip into this role,
2: yeah, um, and, and yeah,
1: was like, sure. "Hey, we're cool." Oh, right? But he's gonna like, talk
2: black. Yeah, yeah. like we're he good. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: But you can't get too. You just can't get too comfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to have a conversation about you know um, maybe on my other podcast you know whether you can be too woke, too woke white. You
2: oh, know? <laughs> is the other podcast back up? I'm, I'm ready.
0: I've got to talk to Will uh, to see how he does, but, you know, we'll see. I want to show him how we're doing the yay video-wise and, you know, Uh Uh, another uh, thing, uh, and this is not so much about politics. Johnson & Johnson, they are recalling baby powder. Did you hear about this? I did not hear about that. Because apparently it has asbestos. And so they recalled it, I think, Tuesday of this week. And I was like, "Wow! I mean, we've been using baby powder. I mean, mothers have been using baby powders for children for years, yeah. and now we're hearing about this. So that was interesting. And um, and and of course, uh, there's a fire going on right now at Pier Forty Five. No, yeah. oh, you, you didn't, didn't hear that? about that? No. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my morning was morning.
1: my morning in the newsroom was crazy, man. I walked in at five a.m. and the anchor who had just done six hours on the air was, like, rushing out into the elevator to head down to Pier 45 because it's just down the street. Right. Um, So we were reporting on that the whole morning. We talked to a couple of people over the phone. Pier
2: 45, that's, like, right in the middle of everything, right? Not in the middle of, but uh, middle of Fisherman's Wharf. Wharf,
0: that's right.
1: Yeah, and the devastating part, they were able to save the historic USS O'Brien, so they were able to preserve the ship. Um, The Musee Mécanique, the one that has the the Cliff House, old arcade games and stuff, that was fine. But other businesses, of course, went up in flames. So I think like the Blue and Red or Blue and Gold Fleet, Mm. um, they lost their offices. There was a wall that collapsed in the structure. Mm. Um, uh, So it, it was devastating. It was a four alarm fire. And the area where a lot of the crab fleet and the fishermen keep their equipment went up in flames. So mm-hmm. just for the crab fleet alone um, for the, the, I think they're called like crab pots, the things that you like stick in the water. Right. Yeah. Um, we were talking to one guy and he said that caused at least, you know, $80,000 in damage, if not up to $200,000 in damage. Um, and a lot of the equipment that's being San Francisco, um, fishermen are different because most of the equipment is kept there, um, whereas other coasts, people are keeping them in their private, um, like, docks and things like that. But a lot of equipment was there and, like, burned into flames.
0: Wow, that's really oh. a shame. I mean, it's already been a very difficult 2020 for a lot of folks, and then, boom, you have this happen to those yeah. folks. Um, Damn. I'm glad no,
2: I didn't did. hear about that at all.
0: Yeah, I'm glad the fire didn't spread. <laughs> because, you know, well, it's dwarf. I mean, when everything oh, really opens up and people can actually go and have fun, hopefully in the summer we'll see. Um, Fisherman's Walk, that's one of the main places. I mean, that's one of the main tourist attraction here in San Francisco. Right.
1: Yeah, and I'm just – I'm grateful. I mean, one person did get injured, um, so um, a, a firefighter was injured, but uh, oh. no one else was hurt, and I think timing-wise it, it – um, was better than other times because there weren't that many people there.
0: That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. And it happened early in the morning anyway. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, I imagine still going on now, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, If it had been crowded, it would have been much worse.
1: Yeah. Still, still difficult. And um, we have yet to see the, all of the damage. I think when I left the newsroom, they had contained all the fire that was on the outside, but they hadn't um, gotten everything on the inside yet? Wow! Um, so they're gonna be working on that for a while.
0: There's a one last thing, and then we can jump into your story, Mallory. Uh, Tara Reed. There was a news. I'm, I don't know if you guys. Oh no! What about? Well, his her lawyer dropped out. Her lawyer says, "I'm not going to um, yeah. I'm not going to deal with you anymore." Uh-huh. Basically, because she um, she lied about graduating. Uh, she lied about graduating from college. I think she she lied about her undergraduate college. And although it's maybe a it's minor thing, it has nothing to do with you know the allegation. Right. She had been pawning her. She had been. She's basically uh, been has she's been a, a expert witness on domestic violence on a lot of criminal cases. Oh. Uh, All of those criminal cases will have to be re-adjudicated because she was an expert witness. Right. So it puts all of those cases in question.
2: Wow. And
0: that happened. I mean, that just happened this week. I don't know if you heard about this, Mallory, but- uh, No,
1: I actually hadn't heard of, I haven't, no.
0: Yeah, so that will be an interesting thing. Of course, that has nothing to do. I mean, it, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I already feel that, you know, Biden's been around for a long time. He's been a senator right. for years and years and years. Right. But the only woman who's ever said that he sexually assaulted, he sexually assaulted her I'm not talking about the touchy feely, which is bad, but that's usually I expect Biden and Biden has admitted that, but the graphic sexual, you know, stuff that Tara Reid is talking about, only she has mentioned it. And so I'm a bit biased. I, you know, I, I I don't quite believe her, but this makes things even worse for her. So one question for you, Mallory, how do you feel about that? But also how do you feel about 2020 in the election? I mean, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? What do you think, um, As far as the presidential election is concerned how do you feel
1: um you know i i i side with women um who uh you know allege sexual assault because um and i think that the memory is like a very um it's a very funny thing um and I also think that um, things that were okay then um, aren't considered okay now.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I think that people have a very different idea of what consent is now. I think that there's much more like education and open conversation about what that means. Um, I also know that traumatic experiences and PTSD and depression can cause um, memory loss. And, you know, none of us were there. Um, and you're right. I don't think this helps her case at all. Um, I wish that things went better for her. Um, mm-hmm. That's, I think, all that I can say about that. And, uh, you know, with any other uh, sexual assault case, I, I, I wish justice for the for the victims and that um things would come to light because it's a very it can be a very traumatizing experience for people who bring it up mm-hmm. and then to see it not go anywhere or to see your like credibility get shot down mm-hmm. is um you know uh not good. Yeah. Um so that's I think that's what I can say about that and for 2020 for the election I don't know, I think that I'm, I'm hopeful, but I, I also um, am usually an optimistic person. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll have to see what happens. I, I don't think that Trump has self as a confident leader who, um, I don't think he's shown up.
0: Yeah. Um, right. And, You're being polite. You're being very polite.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that he's he's filled the role that a lot of people thought that he would. People who supported him in the first place, mm-hmm. um, I think they were expecting more. And it's it's crazy to think that it's been four years since he's been elected. He right. he's had four years um, to to do something, and and this is oh, yeah. the big thing. Right. Um, he's had many opportunities. I mean, we've had how many mass shootings since he got into office and
2: Puerto Rico, you know, Puerto Rico,
1: there's a lot going on. And, um, I don't think that he's not showing up. And I think that, um, while some would argue that rhetoric is just rhetoric and, you know, uh, you know, it's what you do and it's not just what you say, but also rhetoric is so powerful And if someone in power is uh, spewing hateful rhetoric and violent rhetoric, then that is going to teach people that it's okay to be that way. Um, And I just hope that that's not the case by the end of the year.
0: (laughs) I think, yeah, I think it's well said. And uh, you know, words, people may say, well, it's just words. And a lot of people who support Trump, just trying to listen up from their perspective. They say, well, yeah, he's a little crazy, but he represents what I say. So I, I, he represents how I feel. So, or, or they'll say, well, he, he speaks real, you know, the right. real person. And I'm like, well, sure, he may be not politically correct, but geez, I mean, I can't think of how many, there's been so many races and cultures that he has gone out of his way to insult. I mean, we have
2: people who are in the hospital because of shit he said. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I have a friend who, um, she's got MS, so she takes the, what is it, hydrochloro, whatever it is.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, They've been cutting her prescriptions because it's been so in demand. Mm. Because of our president, people are running and begging for this drug and doing whatever they can to get it, and this poor woman, has a serious condition mm-hmm. and the drug helps. It, you know, it does, it's, it's a condition where you're not being cured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All they're doing is cutting down how bad it is at yeah. any given time. And so she's had, we were supposed to see each other last week and she was like, I can't go anywhere today.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, have a friend, I have a friend of mine who, uh, she has a daughter who has um, autism. And Mm. she spent splitting her time. She's a nurse, so she's on the front line. Mm. So she, and she's Asian, so she's dealing with the racism. There was an article Mm. in The Post about how Asian Americans are dealing with racism in a way they've never dealt with before because Mm. of Mm COVID-19. Plus she's a nurse, and plus she has to rush home and be a nurse to her daughter 24-7. So people are going through rough times, and then they have to turn on the television and listen to Trump, you know, sort of make a mockery of people or, you know make brownie points and stuff. So I really hope there will be a change. And for for those who may not agree with you know what we believe or whatever, you can always, you know, post your comments or whatever. But I think, you know, there have been better I'm not anti-Republican. There have been good Republicans. I mean Eisenhower was a great Republican, um Teddy Roosevelt, um Mitt Romney, I would not have voted for Mitt Romney, but he would have been a better president than this than
2: the Yeah, party. much better. Yeah.
0: I
1: think both sides there are uh cons to both sides Um, and not everyone is perfect. And I know that even, you know, with Obama's presidency, I know that there was a lot that even people on the left disagreed with. Um, But the difference was that he was uh, a man who knew how to use his words and he was a good role model.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: He set an example for people and I... I think it's unfortunate that um, people tried to attack his character so much when right. I didn't. I, I, I think that he was a really wonderful example of a human being. So yeah. I uh, think it's
2: all they had. I don't think they had anything else, so they had to attack his character.
0: I mean, okay. I, still, I still remember the tears that he cried during Sandy Hook. I mean, right. did, how many times? He was he
2: criticized come? for it.
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean he he got flack for wearing a, a beige suit one time, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I just I wish that we would get someone in office who was cool.
2: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And with That's that, funny, on Twitter, I um got into it with a guy, they they the the Biden thing.
0: You got to stop these fights, Norman.
2: <laughs> well, no, that's what Twitter does. And yeah, it cracks yeah, me up because I avoid a lot of it. But I wasn't, it was that first day, Biden's comments, I'm t- looking up all this horrible stuff and people just having this knee-jerk reaction. And this guy, what did he post? He posted, Um, it's a meme, um, oh, the irony of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a guy sitting there taking an iron and rubbing it up and down his face. Oh, the irony of it.
0: Okay, that's a pun. And
2: I forget what the comment was, but it was basically saying, You people are being ridiculous about this. And I'm like, Well, I'm being ridiculous? Because I didn't think I said anything that was ridiculous. So we went back and forth three or four times. By the end of it, the guy was being really polite with me. Because I was like, I agree with you. People are overreacting. And if you're going to say this is really horrible that Biden did, and I'm not denying it's not good, it's bad. But if you think this is bad, what about the guy he's running against? If you think Tara Reid is bad, what about the guy he's running against? Yeah. Because if you don't want to vote for that, you sure can't vote for that guy, then you can't. If you, if you really believe this, you cannot vote for that other guy.
0: Yeah. Well, if you try to use logic with the illogical people, you're not going to get very far, unfortunately. People hear what they want to hear.
2: Well, Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's also the truth of what they're saying. I hear the truth of it, but I'm like, if you really believe that, then therefore, <laughs> what about this?
0: Right, yeah. right. Exactly. And with that, let's uh, jump into a conversation with Mallory Samarin. Let's learn a little bit more about you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They- um- so my uh Erlina's actually she's waiting to she's waiting to get in. Do you want i oh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> Let me um here.
1: It's okay. I figured, you know, you're how,
0: how dare we ignore your mom?
1: I I figured we wait until the end of the segment for, you know.
0: Uh-huh.
1: flow flow reasons and
0: yeah, like, you and all too. that. Okay. I'm being a bad meeting chat. Maybe I could get some help. Um,
2: oh, you know the other current event you missed.
0: Yeah, go ahead. While we're while I'm trying to do Donald this,
2: Donald Trump. Yeah, that guy. You've heard of him. Um, he has endorsed Jeff Sessions' op- opponent, his his Republican opponent. Mm-hmm. He has endorsed him and said that basically said Jeff Sessions is somebody you can't depend on. He's a liar and he's not good for the party.
0: Erlina, are you there?
2: Like he, Huh? Erlina, are you there? Oh, she's the audience. Audio.
0: Okay, okay. But yeah, I heard about this too. Yeah, he's running he's running for senator yeah. and I guess um Trump is 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 um is I don't endorsing his opponent.
2: His Republican opponent, yes. He's not yeah. he's not endorsing the Democrat, but he's endorsing the Republican. Um, and so Sessions came back and said, what I did was right, and it was what I needed to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, see, this oh is what God. happens when you, you know, you, you lay in bed with someone who you can't trust. I mean, Trump, you know, you got, if it has not been Omarosa, if it hasn't been, um, you know, so many Rex Tillerson, there have been right. so many individuals who's worked for Trump and have had their hand bitten by Trump. Right. What happens. Erlina, yeah. are you there?
3: I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, Here you, you like, Yay! Be.
0: Shame on me for ignoring you. No, no. no, let,
3: no me, let me get her video. Let <laughs> me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Keep you talking.
0: Know. Oh. Oh, I think she's doing troubleshooting for mom. For those who don't hey. know, Erlina is Mallory's right. mom, and it's great. Oh, to hey, hear you. hey there. Hey there. Say yay! <laughs> Say yay! Yes. I'm so sorry. We're doing this twice. Uh, no you know, worries.
3: <laughs> no worries. This has been fun. We should do it more often.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're just bashing Trump as usual. <laughs> as usual, red, like I said, the, uh, the, get uh,
2: the,
3: out there the and vote. Case. Get uh-huh. out there and vote. Yes. The lesser of two evils. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Did you have any thoughts on Tara Reid, uh, Erlina? I mean, just um, I don't know for the Me Too movement. I mean, are is are you? are you upset that you have to choose the lesser of two evils or are you enthusiastic?
3: Well, it gives me time. It, ge- it gives me, you know, time to reflect. And, and, uh, at this point in time, I think that I, I heard a little bit about what was being said. No, that was about the, um, about, uh, Biden's, uh, uh
2: Gap. comment
3: statement. Yeah. Comment. Yeah. 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 The black statement. Yeah. Um, you know, me too. And uh, at this point, though, I think it's important to know um, that we need to just move forward and um, see what we can do to, I don't know, be a better better America. Ooh, <laughs> did I just say that?
0: <laughs> you did, well, you certainly didn't mean make America great again. Uh, I understand what you mean, yeah. I mean, you know, this Biden, I mean, so here's a quick story before we get into an origin story. I had a Philippine girlfriend and she was coming out of a very uh, difficult marriage. It was a domestic violence um, that she had to deal with. And as a, a paralegal, I helped her get a B-1 visa based mm-hmm. on the Violence Against, Ameri- violence Against Women Act. Uh, mm-hmm. And that bill, the very fact that I could do that was because of Biden. So Biden is helping, and he not only helps women who are involved in violence, but even women who are not um, American citizens. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that, that's part of his legacy. And um, I think a lot of older individuals, especially older politicians, they're dealing with this new media, you know, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram. And yeah, you can make gaps, you can say things that you probably shouldn't say.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it doesn't excuse it. But I don't know if you can you know, fault him for one little thing when you have an entire 20, 30, 40 year uh, history. Well, uh, it
2: helps if it's... you respond to it and he did.
1: Yeah. Yes, he did. I think that this isn't the outcome that uh, many people were hoping for as far as the election goes and who we get to choose. Yeah. But also um, I think that people grow and change. Um yep. I mean I know that I'm certainly thank God not the person I was 10 years ago. Um yeah. I know that I've said stupid things and you know done even dumber things and I uh, I'm 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 glad that I'm um for the most part probably judged for my character as a whole and not just what I did 10 years ago. Um so yeah. Yeah, About I mean, the doings,
3: yeah. I think, and that Biden has done many good things.
0: Yes. So let's put yeah. that in
3: perspective
0: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, move on and vote, vote, vote.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, people will say, you know, uh, there's always this political football and collecting brownie points of things that you did in the past. And, you know, people are select. So like we were talking, you know, a while back a couple of, maybe a year or so ago about, what was it, Kevin Hart, you know, he was supposed to do the Oscars, and oh, yeah. someone That's had like found a Twitter though, yeah. feed of, you know, what he, whatever he said. So, um, you're absolutely right, Mallory. I think that, you know, we, we can evolve, and people should take, take, people should judge people, not just for what they were, but, you know, who they are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And with that said, let's talk about you. Um, you are a writer, producer, auto journalist for the Oakland Bay area um you've done so much
2: theater artist since she, <laughs> she was two
0: exactly.
3: years old but what you all don't know is that she was performing even before then
0: oh, in, uh, the in, womb? The womb?
3: <laughs> in the womb actually yeah uh yeah
0: but uh so i know that you went to tell me about your when you study at the art institute of chicago um you did you make a transition from theater performing to sort of you know producing did you make that transition then or was it earlier or was it later
1: it was earlier actually so Early. i i haven't been in a production since 2011 i've done stage readings since then um and i've done you know voice work uh in school and stuff like that but um my transition into radio Uh, I think my mom said when I was younger I said I wanted to be a DJ Um, I didn't know it was gonna be in this capacity And when I was in my last semester at SF State actually as a communications major and I was looking for an internship and I I went on Craigslist of all places and I saw an on-air radio internship at Pirate Cat Radio in San Francisco Um, yeah so it was at at 21st in Florida you know, it was well known uh, amongst the, you know, underground radio worlds. It had pirated airwaves and, you know, had a, a coffee shop attached to it. And I went in for my interview and the guy who ran the station paired me up with a, a gentleman, DJ Nylon, who was my mentor for a while. And he had a show called Fade Out Theater. And he would do um, on-air readings of scripts and he would have actors and um, you know, audio, light people, because he is a, a sound person and he does, um, you know, theater production. And, and so,
3: music.
1: yeah. And so I was paired up with him and I, I was, you know, learned under him for a few months before getting my own show. And I didn't know at the time what I wanted to do. And but I had so much freedom. I was able to produce my own two hour show every single week. I booked whoever I wanted, and I mainly focused on a lot of like local hip hop music and local artists, um, independent artists, um, you know, rappers who were also actors. some a couple of my earlier guests were Rafael Cassell and Davy Diggs, um, who are actors, rappers singers, everything that they can do they they do it. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of when I made my transition was when I was my uh, last semester of my undergrad. And from there, I, you know, I did theater, f- or I did radio for a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, took some, some time off to work and, you know, take care of business and, you know, take the GRE and kind of think about what I wanted to do moving forward. And then um, in 2016, I left for Chicago to get my master's in new arts journalism at the school of the art Art. Institute of
0: Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. No, that's amazing. What did you, what did you learn there? I mean, how was your experience there?
1: Um, It was incredible. I, you know, I was looking at Boston, New York, other places for school, and I hadn't even considered Chicago, um, until, you know, I, I had applied to, I got into new school. I didn't get into anywhere in Boston. My mom and I, you know, we went to go visit a few places and nothing stuck. Um, and one of the last schools I was going to apply to was USC. They had a, a program in specialized journalism for the arts. And I was like, you know what? I don't see myself living in LA. Uh, I, you know, being a, a NorCal girl, it's like i I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I could go to LA. And so I looked for other programs and new arts journalism in Chicago was there. I applied, we went, got a warm welcome and it was a city I almost knew nothing about. Um, except Kanye West was from there. Common was from there and I liked both of them. Um, but I went and just the art was incredible. The public art, the people were nice. A it's, a
0: beautiful, it's a beautiful city. Yeah. It's a
1: beautiful yeah. city. It's yeah. a beautiful city and in the summer it, it comes alive and I, I felt like because I, and I didn't know anybody there um, and I felt like because I didn't know anybody there I, I kind of almost got to start over and start fresh and figure out um, the way that I like to put it is Chicago you know it's, it's so spacious and it's flat and I felt like there's a lot of room. It's like a good incubator for creativity. Um, no one was telling me what to do. And so I kind of just got to do whatever I wanted. And, um, I took my audio experience, my radio experience and, um, a lot of the, the people that I, I went to school with, you know, it's a interdisciplinary interdisciplinary school. Um, and I didn't really know anyone else who was doing radio there. Um, the people that I worked, that was in my, my cohort, they're, they're all print journalists, journalists. And so I came in with a different, with different experience and started doing radio at the school there. Um, And yeah, I just kind of got to be my own person and just kind of figure it out. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really cool to be in a city. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go to New York was because I was like, oh, well, birthplace of, you know, hip hop. And I love the city. It's, it's alive. And it's, it's so much of, I still love New York. Um, but what was really cool about moving to Chicago when I did was that chance the rapper had dropped his coloring book album that same year. And it set off this, um, this, uh, you know, wheel that was just spinning and spinning there where young artists, young rappers, um, young independent artists in Chicago were like getting the spotlight shown on them. And it was really cool to be there for that because there's so many venues for creativity and for young people to express themselves. And it's not one of those like big shot cities. And so um, one person that I I became a fan of there was Jamila Woods. She's a a poet and um, a singer. And what was so cool was that I would see her on the screen And I would see her music videos, but then I would also see her at an open mic and she would be there with a beanie on and no makeup and she would sit in the back and she knew everybody. And that's how it was the whole time I was there, Um, was I would run into people who were like famous in Chicago for what they were doing, but they were just, they were just there walking around and there was no air about them. Um, And they were just so accessible and it was
0: nice. No, that was cool, and it's, it's an amazing energy. When you when you were talking, it reminds me sort of how I've heard Bay Area theater was, you know, at a particular time, like in the '80s or what have you. you no, know, I'm yeah. not sure you know a lot about that. Or when I went to school in New York during the time that run, uh, that uh, Public Enemy was just getting big in the '80s, and Yusuf Hawkins had just been killed, and there was a march from Bensonhurst to Bed Stuyvesant. Carrying a makeshift coffin of of Yusuf Hawkins being, that was sort of an iconic thing. And Spike Lee even wrote about it, Do the Right Thing,
2: in 89.
0: So I sort of get the energy that you're talking about, Mallory. Um, One question that I had, do you think that theater sort of helped you? When I think about theater and radio, I mean, they're still about stories and crafting a story from beginning, middle and end so that an audience can appreciate it. Um do you think that theater sort of gave you an advantage you know the, the the history that you had that maybe some other kids didn't have when you were at the art institute in Chicago
1: Yeah i uh, i'm where i'm at because i was involved in theater um you know uh you take away what you can see and you still have theater you still have drama so you know, you still have to have some sort of structure. You know, one of the things that I teach the kids is the structure of a story. You still have beginning, middle and end. So you have to have these, you know, these posts that you still kind of like, you know, that you still have to kind of stick to. Um, You know, you have to have expression in your voice and use words that are colorful and have texture. Um,
0: That's right. Voice acting. I didn't think about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I also didn't know a lot of theater, theater kids when I was, um, at SAIC, um, maybe in the performance department, but definitely not in the journalism department, um, which is only, there was only four of us, um, in, in my class, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that just knowing what an audience looks for, um, knowing what excites people, um, and provokes, thought and discussion, um, taking all of that into my journalism. And I, I think just, um, you know, I've also, you know, I worked in customer service for years, like up until last year. And I, theater, customer service, it's like, it's very performative. And um, so I took all of that with me and it's like, okay, well, first you have to know how to work with people right? So that's one of the things you teach theater um, students is ensemble work, is working as a team. If you have a scene partner, you can't just ignore them. Um, and it's the same thing as, you know, working in a, on a group project or, um, you know, working with your editor or, you know, what have you, working in a newsroom with other people. You have to work with others to make something work. Um, and having just the different components of, you know, like the radio station I'm at now, you know, we have an editor, we have reporters, we have the news director, and it's all about working as a team. Um, and so I think I took a lot of that teamwork and ensemble work that I learned growing up in theater and training at Berkeley Rep and, and all of that, um, and just trying to think outside of the box as much as I could. Um, I think that helped me out a lot.
0: That's really cool. Norman, I want to bring you in. Have you um had have you done voice work before? What, just on I've the... done some,
2: yeah. <laughs> how
0: how, mean, diff- how how difficult or easy is it?
2: I don't know. That's a hard question. Because you know, there are things that people like, whenever we get into conversations about training, there's training and then there's just um what the heck? I'm sorry, my My computer is glitching. Um, There's people's just instincts and their natural abilities. So if you have a natural ability at something and then somebody funnels you in the right direction so you can take advantage of that, you know, that's great. On the other hand, if you decide that you don't really know anything about it but you want to, then you, you know, you can learn, you can develop it. I... I like I like voice work better than I like film. Is that right? Well, because film is more what the editor is going to do and what the uh, director and the DP, you know, director of photography, agree that they want to shoot. And if you are very savvy and you've got any voice in that, then maybe you can make some choices about it. But otherwise, you're just sort of performing and it's what they capture and what they decide to do with it, how they edit it. Like, uh, there's this short piece that I just posted on Facebook um, that I did with Ron Santiano. Yeah, Um,
0: and you were just awarded a, um, I think that you were nominated. I didn't
2: get awarded, but I got nominated. Uh, it It won some awards, but I was nominated at one point as Best Supporting Actor, which cracked me up. It's a short action piece. I'm not part of the action. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm just there. And, but... If I'm on camera, if I'm on step, you know, when I'm on, I'm on. So there are a lot of shots of me reacting. <laughs> there are a lot of shots where I'm not saying anything. Hmm. And they decided to put that in. And I knew that was happening after a while because the director and the director photographer would stop and they would talk. And they'd say, okay, we're going to do that again. Um, Norman, make sure you don't go anywhere. I'm like, <laughs> I thought they were doing a fight scene yeah yeah yeah. but we want to make sure you you just stay right where you are and the next thing I know the guy's up in my face with the camera
3: yeah
2: you know catching my reactions. well that wasn't anything I planned it wasn't anything that I in any way like consciously said oh this is what I'm going to do for the camera I was just acting And they captured it and they put it in with a lot of, like I see now, where he's really edited this thing. So the fights, um, he's added in some beautiful sound effects and made the fights look really cool. And then all these little reaction shots of me. So with voice work, it really is a lot more about what you do that makes the moment. It's sound. If it's a sound medium, sound is what you have control over. Mm -hmm. but as an actor film, I don't have control over If they decide to shoot it from some other angle, I don't get it. In fact, I did a commercial once, and I was actually supposed to get a lot more money, but they decided at the last minute that they were not going to shoot. The ending that they had originally was that I turned around and smiled and winked and (laughs) then walked away. They decided because of budget stuff that they weren't going to do that, and instead they put it was for Mountain Dew, and they put the do the do. On the back of my jacket. Oh. So I walked by, and then they took a shot of the back of my jacket, and that was the end of the commercial.
0: And for those who don't know, you get more money if you actually speak, I think.
2: It, uh, than, and if you see your face. Right. <laughs> so. And I was oh. like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm not. No, I, film is film, and you it's all acting. We're still in a commercial. Mm-hmm. I think five. I
1: remember that, actually. That was your back acting, Norman. I remember that. That was, like, back in VHS days, right? I think I might have, like, taped it on VHS.
2: I think I do have it on VHS. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. That was a long time. That was a while ago.
2: Maybe It maybe. was. It was before one of the Olympics because Michael Johnson, I think his name was, he was a Canadian runner. Johnson. everybody was saying ben. he was going to be a big guy that year. Yeah. And uh, and he had a – he sprained an ankle – not an ankle, but he pulled a muscle or something – kind of took him out of the running. So what was predicted to be, because that was being done as a Super Bowl commercial. Oh, it was when Superman came out. The mm-hmm. Superman movie where he spins around the earth and makes everything go backwards, make time go backwards. That's yeah. in the 70s. No, no, not 70s. Okay. That's 80s. I, I was not making movies in the 70s, I promise you.
0: <laughs> well, that movie was in the, it, it's okay. I, I dig what you're saying. I, I think it, the Olympics would have been, what, 88 Olympics?
2: Yeah, it would have been like eighty eight Olympics. Okay. No. I wouldn't have been doing it then. It was later. But oh. um but they did it because the movie had that, where he spun to keep Lost Line alive, he spun around the earth. So yeah. they were riffing off of that.
0: Got where
2: it. the runner runs so fast that he makes the earth go backwards so he can go to the store because the store is just closed, so he yeah. can't get a mountain dew.
0: He's ripping off of the 70s movie, but it was done in 88 or 92 or whatever it was. I totally get yeah,
2: I, I think it was know. another Superman movie where they referenced it. Yeah. I you wonder-
0: know, I was thinking, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was go going ahead. to bring your mom in. I was going to, you know, just, uh, but I, I, go, go ahead. I don't want to disturb your groove.
1: Oh, I, you know, I was thinking, um, so I just, I had a thought. I was, you know, you had asked about, you know, theater and how that helps out and everything. And um, I think, one thing that I learned about, especially when you um, think about like the beginning of a play, right? You set the scene and, you know, you set a time and a place and you set the characters and um, what I would do when I was doing radio in in Chicago was I, or even when I was doing it here in San Francisco is, you know, I would like take a theme and kind of roll with that. There were some days I didn't even plan the playlist that I would, I would play. Um, But I remember election, Uh, election day um 2016 and it was the night before the election and they had started to open polls in chicago and i was doing my show and i um I was doing my show and I also knew that Chance the Rapper was doing a live stream from downtown Chicago where he was taking all of these young people who were old enough to vote and he told them like, I'm going to be here at a certain time and we're going to lead a march to the polling place and we're going to go and we're going to vote. And I was doing my show at the same time and I was you know, following the stream and then also doing my show. And um, I just remembered setting the scene. And I was like, okay, well, Chance, he's walking down this street now, and like describing what the crowd looked like, um, and then doing the show based on that. And um, it's kind of like theater, right? You take a, uh, some of the best theater takes a night, or one party. um, Like, you know, or Lena, like my mom states, it's like the slice of life, right? So you take one aspect of something, and then you kind of flush it out you know um and you unpack it from there um so you set the scene and you unpack like a small moment um, and I think that's what I learned kind of how to do and how to like adapt my what I've learned in theater for for radio and for broadcasting and producing
0: no that's an excellent point because. I just finished watching the documentary Michael Jordan uh, you know Ah. the last dance yeah the last dance and it's just you know you think you know the story but then there are all sorts of these elements that are unpacked that only a producer or a director can see oh you know these are some of the nuances or these are some of the stories that we may not have heard like uh, you know just chance the rapper and you know walking these people and the, uh, the you know, the euphoria that they must have felt. They're like, oh, hey, we're going to make history. Hillary Clinton is going to be president. And then all of a sudden something else happens. Right. But uh, no, that's very interesting. I wanted to bring your mom in. Um, how did you, I mean, you've seen your daughter, you know, from two, you know, from when she was on stage at two years old up to now. Has any, has it shocked you? Has anything surprised you with what Mallory's done?
3: No, not at all. Um from a very early age, she was able, I mean, of course she came from me. So, uh, you know, no matter what it was that we did together, uh, play time, read time, reading time, um, you know, serious times that kind of, she was so, one of the things that she did so well was listened. She took in everything that, was being said, and um, one of the things that I encouraged her to do and encouraged us to do as a mother daughter team was for us to express what it was that we were feeling at the time and um, to take that in so no i'm not I'm not surprised. what she did is she took in all the information, all the relationships everything experiences, and she just, you know, did what she could. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, w- Mallory had mentioned earlier that she wanted to be a DJ. She she remembered wanting to be a DJ. Uh, the thing that she said when she was about, correct me if, if I'm wrong, Mal, I think you were maybe two-ish, if not about two-ish. I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. And she said, I want to be a clown mommy. (laughs) Why is that? And she said, so I can make people laugh. Wow. Um, So am I surprised? No, I think that she was uh, born into the theater. uh, If you will, Uh, Norman was there. We did to be on gifted and black at San Francisco state.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that one. I, I, I've got an interview on uh, Tuesday for a gig, a gig, and that that might be a good play to mention.
3: Why is that, Norman?
2: Well, cause it, um, because it because the title it it there's a focus on young people that might be appropriate. Yeah, Plus, a bunch of mini scenes, so it makes it easy to break it up.
0: How it long how long ago was that?
2: Ah, oh, okay. oh. like that.
3: Let's see. Uh, Mallory was not. Two, so thirty years ago. Uh,
2: was she was 99? not three. I think it was. You think it was, like was it nineteen ninety? No, it was before ninety, wasn't it?
1: It had to be eighty-nine, right? I was born um, November eighty-seven. The
3: cool yeah,
2: thing. Yeah, I think that it might have been eighty-nine.
3: The cool thing about To Be Young Gifted in Black, I mean, I started in theater doing um, stage readings, but prior to that at San Francisco State, we did do um, To Be Young Gifted in Black. Was that, you know, there were just different slices of life that Lorraine Hansberry put in this wonderful play. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but there was movement, there was um, the transitions of, of present time, political times, uh, youthful times, and there was song as well and one of the things you know we were talking about voice you know um one of the my earliest memories of doing a theater was being able to take everyone's voice and putting it all together and making this wonderful uh, masterpiece mm-hmm. um and so i i guess it was just to kind of piggyback off of what um norman said about uh uh, the vocal abilities in theater. I, I would, I'm, I'm with you, Norman, on that. I love uh, working with people's voices in theater and how they're able to create this environment and tell a story.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
3: But I think I, I think I, I um, went off topic here. Um, <laughs> about um, Mallory, Mallory, she, yeah, she grew up in the theater, I'm not surprised, she was a sponge, she actually wanted, she actually really enjoyed um, the lighting in theater, she would always try to guess what color filters they were using, or gels.
0: Oh, is that right?
3: Oh, yeah, and she would look back, and she'd say, I thought so, you know, she was so cute,
0: yeah. You had mentioned something about um, the, the art of listening. I mean, I was thinking, you know, us boys, when we're, you know, usually they say that girls are better listeners than boys, you know, when we're talking right. or whatever. Um, but the art of listening, especially with radio, I mean, in theater and also in radio, it's something that, cause Norman, you and I, we have this debate about should people go to school or should they not go to school? What natural abilities do you have? Right. So I really had to pick up my ability to listen to another artist. I, I remember there was a, sh- a play that you directed that had me in it, and there was a partner that I had, and I could tell that the partner was not really listening to me. The partner was just basically waiting for his line. Hmm. Right. I kept playing my line is like da 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 da. Right. Like, okay, this person is not listening to me at all, and uh, I realized that. It's, it's a, it's a talent. It's, it's something that you have to have, it's something that you have to develop.
2: And I you imagine. Can develop, yes.
3: And practice. And I think, and practice. I yeah. mean, I get that part. I, I've been one of those actors, Norman may attest to this, where um, I'm not necessarily listening, but I'm waiting for my cue line because I'm so nervous. <laughs> but um, with Mallory, I think uh, she was able to not only listen, but to receive to receive the information and to think about it and then to take that information you know without thinking about it organically being able to kind of respond to that
0: now that's awesome Hey, yes. now here's a question for you because you're also a director as well i mean let's say you're producing something and you have to tell the actors let's say in the um if it's a radio thing or even as a producer for a documentary or you know whatever you have to sort of instruct people in how to read or what to read or, or what have you. Do you do you put on the director hat sometimes?
1: Um, you mean for radio? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I think the radio producer's job is kind of producer slash director. Um, so my you know my role as a as a producer is to book the um, experts and the guests for the interviews. Um, But you're also um, writing the prompts, the lead-ins for those interviews. Um, And you're also writing the questions. And so that's kind of your uh, opportunity to direct the conversation in a way, to um, hit a topic at a certain angle. Um, You know, you can have, you know, you can uh, book a phone interview about let's just say about kids live, learning at home during the coronavirus right um, you can do like five different interviews on that um, Just today we had um, we had someone come on to talk about how kids are experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety and they're having trouble sleeping oh, um, yeah. while they're learning at home mm-hmm. and so that's one angle so I think a you know kind of a director's role is to go at something to, to direct, um, the narrative at a certain angle. Um, so I I do, I do believe that my role is kind of producer slash director. So, um, I guess my role now is like, a uh, producer director stage manager if if you had a stage uh, manager for wow. the radio I,
0: I, yeah I imagine i imagine there's a lot of spontaneity where you have to you have the show in your head and you have to sort of of course you want things to happen organically and as naturally as possible but you sort of want to push things towards because you have a narrative in your head of mm-hmm. how you want things to go
1: yeah exactly and like you said you can you can plan things out but things don't always go the way that you plan them to go. And so you have to be able to take something in that moment and um, go from there and and yeah. just try to, you know, like I was talking about earlier, like unpack things um, that come up.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about Bindlestiff because uh, Bindlestiff, I mean, that's how you and I met and uh, Bindlestiffs holds such a wonderful place. And I think all of our hearts, uh, we met in 2011 and it was the inaugural um opening of their new space or the space it was new at the time uh Mm -hmm. can you talk about how what bindlestiff means to you and to the philippine community here in the bay area at least the acting uh, you know philippine community in the bay area
1: yeah um you know i i've only done a couple of things with bindlestiff but i've worked with people at bindlestiff for a while you know Mm -hmm. um I and think, I meet, think for meet, me, you know, you mentioned uh, that we were in Stories High together in 2011 and we weren't in the same piece. Um, so I guess for anyone watching who isn't familiar with it, Stories High is um, a compilation of different pieces um, written through workshops. I think they're, they're the, the plays are written through workshops, right? Is, yeah, that's
0: correct. Is yeah. The, um, or
1: yeah, so it's a compilation of of short pieces put together in one show, um, and there is a movement to them. There's, you know, they are ordered in a certain way, put in order in a certain way to go with the flow. Um, but yeah, you and I met there, and I think that experience itself is the epitome of what it is to be um, Filipino American. It's uh, collaborative. And, uh, you know, Filipinos have hella family members. We got hella cousins and sisters and, you know, aunts and uncles. And you all get together for, you know, for Christmas or Thanksgiving. And you sing together and you do things together. And then you party in the green room. Um, and then you go back on stage and then you get to be dramatic um, and, and so I felt like stories high is definitely, uh, the epitome of, of what it means to be, you know, culturally Filipino and Filipino American. And the space itself is just, I think it's the only, um, it's the only theater space in America that's dedicated to Filipino American art.
0: That's correct. Yep.
1: So it's. It's important, and it's the setting of it as well. You know, being what right across the street from where the I Hotel used to be,
0: uh, um, uh-huh.
1: right across the street from the um, what's this the center called?
0: Bayan um, oh shucks.
1: Bayanahan. Mm-hmm. Yes, bingo. Um, so you know, it being in Manila Town, and um, just it being this, you know, this final black box. Theater being the product of so many years of, of work. And I've heard so many stories from people who were involved with Bindle Stiff back in the day mm-hmm. um, when it was at that location before it was like established as their own space. And everything that they had to go through to get that space and to act in that space. Um, even just walking there on a regular night and just the adventures that you, you know, have <laughs> to get there. Oh, yeah,
0: Fifth Street. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think this space is just, it's a symbol for the work. Um, it's a symbol for like camaraderie and um, being able to express yourself in a way that, you know, no one's really telling you how to, to express your culture in that space Um, you know it's it's special because filipino americans don't get that opportunity a lot to do that in theater not even in the bay area um and you know certainly not in film and in television it's so recent that these voices are finally being heard so it's it's such an important space for for filipinos to be able to tell their own stories on their own terms.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And in 2011, when I went there, um, the energy was just amazing. I and mean, we've had so many people on the yay, like Percy Asabal. we've had Michael Dorado, we've had Jeannie on twice, and I think you may have met Jeannie at Bindlestiff, or maybe you met her uh, elsewhere. No,
2: I, I would assume and, at State.
0: Yeah, um, but we've everyone has talked so much, Comrade Panda- Panganaban. Um, he's talked about, um, just what Bindlestick meant to them and how, um, you're absolutely right. It's a cultural, it's, it's the place where you can sort of, you know, you, you feel at home and the energy. I mean, there were so many actors and directors and people just jumping in and moving sets and whatever. It was a wonderful energy when it opened up in 2011. And I'm glad the city of San Francisco has recognized Bindlestick as being a culturally significant place. Mm -hmm. Um,
3: Guerrilla theater yeah, the
0: funding. Um, you know, it has the funding to, 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 um, to do, uh, what they do for the Philippine community for really for all of the community in, in San Francisco.
3: I wanted to shout out to uh, my homie from Vallejo, uh, Alan Manalo. Yay. Yeah, he, he was the main reason why Bindlestiff, I believe, um, is, is, is what it is now. Um, his hard work, he and his wife both um, have done so much to bring the Filipino American stories to uh, to stage.
0: Yeah, no, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, no, Alan, okay. it's just fantastic. A- yeah, yeah, and we got we got to get him on. I haven't spoken to him in a long time. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah we are, I think we're about an hour and a half, but did you, uh, I'm going to give you the last word, Mallory. What Where's your future? Where do you want to, what do you want to do in the future? You may be, you may be very happy doing what you're doing right now, but uh, where do you see yourself five, 10 years from now?
1: Um, you know, I, I am happy. Um, I, but I'm always just trying to think of other things that I want to do also. Um, so there's some projects that I have to not have to, that I would, I desperately need to and want to finish Um, my thesis project is something I'm really passionate about and it's a a podcast and um, and it follows um, what uh, what happens when hip-hop artists relocate and how it changes their process and um, their art and that was it. Was my thesis project, and so it's something that that's like next on my list. Besides just doing the work that I'm doing, um, that is something that I I need to finish. <laughs> um, Raphael Casal and David Diggs are my subject in that episode, and so that'll be my my subject for that first episode, and then you know I'll see where it goes from there. I've got plans, and um, on my bucket list is to um, write for television. At some point in my life, I love I love television. I think it's so much like theater, where you um, you really just get to get into the heart of characters. And um, I love like we've been watching Parks and Rec, <laughs> and I love the thought of, of what I love about about television is seeing how each character in an in an ensemble reacts to something. Like, being able to see how each character deals with the same problem, I think, is just golden. Um, So I would love to write for television someday. And Mm. um, another thing on my list is to produce and host my own traveling um, series about music and I haven't pinned down exactly what the topic might be and I don't know what medium I want it to be I don't know if I want it to be audio or just video or you know what have you but that is that's those are two of my goals three of my goals I guess so that's um what is next at some point
0: No, that's awesome and um when you were talking i thought of two things one slate has a fantastic podcast called uh, the hit parade and mm. it gets into um the history of music and it takes like a certain aspect of music like i think last week it was billy joel and beforehand it was whitney houston but not just talking about the artist but also sort of what was happening around the time the artists, you know, came to be and the history behind that. So I can see you doing something like that. I was also thinking if you're thinking about doing writing for film and television, you may wanna get into like a playwriting program like uh, I've been doing Play Cafe and- um, What play, is that? Uh, play Cafe, play Cafe um, Richard Jennings, and um, I forget the woman's name, you- um,
2: Jamie Greenblatt.
0: Jamie uh, Jamie, Jamie. Yep.
2: Jamie,
0: Jamie Greenblatt. Basically, they take in budding playwrights. They take in their work. I think you have to pay um, 6 or $10 or so. And they will gather uh, our, uh, actors, and they'll do a play reading. And um, as a matter of fact, I'll be doing a play reading. That's something that I'll be advertising for, memori- for Memorial Day weekend. It'll be the Sunday before Memorial Day. It'll be via be Zoom um but in any case play cafe they uh they host budding playwrights i think they do it once a month mm-hmm. and you get feedback you get actors who will do your work norman has as uh, has, has participated. i'm
2: doing it uh monday oh right. fun <laughs> and uh um, i wish it was public i'd you know i'd invite you guys
0: yeah <laughs> uh also playground how it yeah playground mm-hmm. is doing that uh the playwrights center for san francisco is doing that um, The um, uh, Brooklyn Preserve they're also mm-hmm. doing that so there are a lot of venues that will take a budding playwright. it doesn't matter if you not ha- don't have any experience and they'll say, "Hey, can you read had someone read my play you may, it may not be even meant for the stage it may be meant for you know film or television but just to hear it and yeah. constructive criticism that'll be a great thing and that's for anyone who's watching the yay if you have if you're a budding playwright and you're looking for a venue uh, those places and we'll pu- we'll put a link in our uh, show notes for that.
1: Cool, Cool. awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, Um, Norman, (laughs) did you want to, any shout outs? Did we- Yeah, I I
2: have a birthday list this time. I was ready. Okay. Um, Where is it? There it is. Uh, So, and it's, um, so because we haven't done it in a while, I actually picked up a couple of birthdays from before Jeffrey Lowe, Mm -hmm. who is a pretty substantial Bay Area director I have not actually personally, I think I've seen him. I don't know that we formally met. Um, but anyway, um, his birthday was yesterday. And Roy Conboy, a Bay Area playwright, his birthday was yesterday. Um, Manu Mukasa is a director, a teacher. He's actually a professor um, now. But uh, back in the day, he was, I worked with him before I started Oakland Public Theater. And then... Uh, he came in and did a couple of shows with us, which was pretty cool. Uh, on a personal level, my stepfather's birthday is tomorrow, so I've got to remember to call him and say, What's happy birthday, name? Paul. Mm, Paul. Hey, Paul. Happy birthday, Paul.
1: birthday
2: birthday. In uh, Moscow, or Kenny Moscow is how I knew him in college, a guy I went to college with, and he looked a lot like a young Bruce Dern. No, Bruce Willis. Sorry, not <laughs> Bruce Dern. He looked like, a lot like a young Bruce Willis. Great sense of humor. Um. Then the youngest person I think I have on my list is a guy named Nigel Berkeley.
3: Nigel Berkeley,
2: uh, Who is a young playwright. And he, I got to do a weekly. He uh, wrote a play called Adelia or the Nose Play. And it's just one of the wackiest things I've read in a long time. A lot of fun, a lot of heart. Uh, It was just amazing how smart and insightful he was for somebody so young. Because he was writing about a Father, raising adult children, and a woman, middle-aged woman, um, the relationships and the way the story developed was just, I was like, dude, how did you write this story? Um, this is uh, somebody who's gone now, but his birthday is coming up this week, Stephen Randolph.
0: Oh, uh, Stephen, yeah I'm, him. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm happy that Facebook keeps popping these dead people up. I'm like, yes, I still yeah. want to remember. And, uh, and then the last one I have on my list is David Ford. Uh, he's a playwright, um, playwriting instructor. He works a lot out of marsh. So a lot of solo pieces that you see come out of the marsh, um, are folks who have worked, um, if they didn't work on the play, they worked on development with David Ford. Wow. So that's my list of birthdays for this week.
0: All right. I'm not set up for, uh, birthdays, but I do have two shout outs. Uh, number oh, wow. one, Plethos Productions, they're doing, um, video auditions for, uh, Much Much Do About Nothing. And so uh, you, uh, you have to submit by the 25th, which is two days from now. Right. So, um, and we'll have a link, um, but it's plethos, P-L-E-T-H-O-S dot org slash auditions.
2: So, Do they pay?
0: Huh? Did they pay? Well yes. Now what they pay, you have to talk to those folks. But um Okay. But in any case, no, I've done um I, you know, Plethos is near to dear to my heart because they produced my play Four men in Paris. Which was you know, fantastic. Yeah, which was fantastic, thank you. And we were going to do Tiny Beautiful Things, which would be a fantastic. It's a book it's written by um Cheryl Strayed. and it's a fantastic um it's a play based on writings by a woman named sugar is that she's basically like an advice columnist right and sugar and their three columnists and it's basically a slice of slice of life and it talks about you know a lot of uh serious serious issues so i wish we had done that but you know that's what we were going to do but they're working on much ado about nothing and so it opens august the 14th and i imagine it will run maybe a month and a half oh wow uh, if you're going to uh, if you're going to audition for it then um, you'll have to submit it by uh, in two days from now.
2: Are they doing the planning on doing this live or are they going to do it remotely?
0: Well, I, um, are you talking about the auditions or the, the show?
2: Uh, the production. I think
0: they're hoping that everything will be open by then. So I think they want to do it live. Okay. So, we'll, so we will we can, see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely see. And something that I had alluded to, I'll have a link in the show notes but uh i'm a playwright and so i've written a play uh called judicial process and that's an adaptation of Bertolt brecht's uh judicial process he Bertolt brecht basically wrote 27 one acts dealing with uh it's called fear and misery in the third reich and so they're basically 27 snippets of activity that had been going on during um, hitler's reign just before wow. uh the attack on uh poland before world war ii and uh, so Susan Evans, <clears throat> who runs Town Hall Theater, she basically gave me and a couple of other budding playwrights in a, a, uh, in a, a job assignment, basically to take uh, Bertrand Brecht and adapt it into the age of Trump. And so my piece, Judicial Process, talks about ICE and how mm. ICE is affecting uh, the illegal immigrants and uh, the collecting of illegal immigrants and uh, the detainment camps and all of that sort of stuff. Very cool. So, cool. Yeah. So, and so uh, Judith Offer, who um, she runs a playwriting or play reading um, camp or whatever it is, um, from the Brooklyn Preserve, and so uh, yeah.
2: it's a series.
0: Yeah, it's a series. And so she uh, she's going to be highlighting my play, and that'll be on the twenty fifth. No, I'm sorry, it's not the twenty. The thirty first. The thirty first. But... Uh, the thirty first of May, which is Sunday. And it'll be a Zoom thing. So you can click on Zoom if you want to participate. It's absolutely free. And you can be an audience to me and a bunch of other actors. I think we, uh, there are six of us. And we'll oh. be the judicial process. So that'll be fun. It'll be Danny Martin. It'll be Echo Yamamoto, Pete Fitzsimmons. I'm sure you know Pete. Yeah. And uh, a couple of other folks. And I'm excited about it. Very cool. Very happy. Cool. So that is that.
1: Yeah, congrats.
2: Yeah, I'll send you guys links. Um, Can I, I give
1: a, a quick you. shout out?
2: Sure. Right. Yeah, go ahead, Mallory.
1: Um, my mom. Uh, but also, um, this is so. This is my first interview. So, um, well, besides oh. the one that we recorded last week, but this is like, I I've done I've interviewed so many people in my life, and I've never been interviewed before. So this is like very cool for me. Um, so well, shout you. out to like all my mentors and, um, it's the same, same people I, I dedicated my master's to, which is just everybody who's, you know, taught me something along the way that includes you, Norman,
2: um, well, thank you. my,
1: my old director and, and mentor and Oakland public theater, you know, head and, um, let's see, Deborah often spring and, and Dushko Petrovich and, um, DJ nylon. Huh. Uh, who, who else? I, I think those are and Jeannie Baroga my dad
0: yeah. uh,
1: Chris Chris Ramsey mm-hmm. my non my auntie and every, everybody who's uh, you know just been the best yeah. <laughs> so,
0: Well I mean I, I think you're a rising star Mallory and uh, I think you know it's just although it's been a long time since we've you know talked um, you've done so much there are a lot of folks who don't do half of what you've done it's a, you know, it's such a, a short period of time, you know, there's still folks who, you know, are still figuring out what to do, you know, in their mid 20s. And, uh, you know, you're really on a very good trajectory. And so I'm very happy that you agreed to, uh, to do the interview. So thank you so much.
3: She's still you. learning.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got a couple of things. Um, Playground is doing their 25th anniversary celebration right now. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they categorize all this, but I'm going to put it under the umbrella of best of Playground. Um, which Playground, if you don't know, is an organization that does short pieces by playwrights. Uh, they bring together directors and actors, and they do typically six shorts um, in an evening, uh, the third Monday of the month at Berkeley Rep for the normal theater season. And, and then at the end of the season, they do a best of. So they pick each night. Uh, the audience picks their favorite. And then out of those, they pick a few, and that's um, I'm lucky that a couple of the pieces that I got to direct uh, made it into the finals, so I'm directing a piece, um, and that's coming up. That won't actually be until June, so I'll say more as that's coming up. But you can see uh, more information at playground-sf.org to get their whole thing, because they also... Take a lot of these short pieces, get developed into full length plays, and there are readings of those plays, and then some of them get developed into full productions. And so last year I got to direct one of the full productions. Uh, the year before I was in that play as just a reading, so I was really thrilled about it. Um, and so I and I've been, been working with Playground for a while now. I enjoy working with them. So that the festival is going on now. And I think right now they're highlighting those, there are two pieces, two full lengths that are being done in rep at the Potrero stage in San Francisco. So that was one. And then the other one I don't have a link for, but I'm acting in a new new translation, not adaptation, but an actual translation of uh, Chekhov's Three Sisters.
0: Oh, right on. Well, I'll um, be
2: doing that, and I'll be doing it, I think it's three o'clock next Sunday, so I think we're kind of head-to-head next week, Rich.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, my, my thing is on f- at five, and yours oh, is at
2: three. Right. Is yours a Zoom thing? I mean, can I... It'll can be we... a Zoom thing, yes. Right so, on. And I don't have a link for it yet, but as soon as I get a link, I will, I will let you know.
0: Oh. Right. Hey, fantastic. It, and, that, you know, that's fantastic that... Amidst this COVID 19 thing, artists are still creating. You know, we're oh, yeah, like, you know, to this it. thing stop us. So that's you go crazy if you don't. Right, exactly. That's Mallory, great. Arlene, did you guys enjoy yourselves?
3: Yeah, what? yeah. This is always fun to watch uh, Mallory grow and see my old buddy Norman. Yay. Yeah. Yay.
0: No, it's great seeing you again, Arlene. And I hope, you know, we got to get you back on stage again because, you know, yeah. you're a fantastic. Uh, oh,
2: that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, she's
3: one of my favorite actresses. I've been doing a lot of writing actually, so nice. that's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. Oh, we should highlight that. I mean, is it book writing, playwriting, what type of writing?
3: Uh, memoirish, I think. Um, but you know, some of my some of the writings that I've been doing. Let's see, it was actually prompted by joining. Uh, is that East East Bay Writers? Is uh, it's it's I don't know if it's East Bay Writers, but it's uh, through the Berkeley Rep Campus. Okay. Oh. Go in, what's it called, Norman? Um,
2: I don't know. You mean uh, with Gary Graves? Gary Graves?
3: No, no. It's just, it was just an opening for people who, who would like to write and have a quiet space to do so. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. And uh, it's over at the uh, Berkeley Rep Campus. Off nice. Of Norman. And so I would just sit there in the big overstuffed chair and just start writing. Um, a lot of it started off uh, very deep, kind of ooh, these these deep feelings that I had. Um, well, how I would start would I would I would take a person from my family and just start stream of consciousness, just start writing. And a lot of them were very emotional. But th- at the very end, I see now where stand up comics you know they're, oh, they're yes. deep and black and but they're so f- funny i would just right. sit there and crack myself up by the by the time i ended you know like 30 40 50 an hour after writing i would mm-hmm. just uh, like sit there and crack myself up it always ended up like that That's- so my writings um right now having having worked with so many playwrights mm-hmm and so many writers uh, before me, helping them put their stuff on stage. Um, I worked with some women, uh, my elders in the Filipino community, my Manangs, I call them, my, my friends, who would turn to me and say, it's time for you to start, you have a responsibility now to your family and to your ancestors to start writing for you, for, for, for your family. So that's what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but also in this day and age now of zoom and everything else, um, just writing little snippets of those slices of life, um, that make me laugh. I sit there and I tell Mallory, Hey, what about this idea? And she'll just like, yeah, okay. That sounds funny. And every so often if she, if I get a guffaw, I know that I'm on the right track.
0: So, so, go. That, well, that's that's fantastic. I think everyone should do writing. I have a journal. I write a journal. You know, every I think I've written every day. I've had a journal since 1992. So it's always good to to have wow. a, to, to write. Mallory, uh, thank you so much, and uh, I want to let everyone know that this will be. Um, I'm going to post this on YouTube, but also the uh, the audio part of it will be part of our usual yay podcast and that will be on any podcast that you listen to whether it be uh, spotify the apple podcast app Uh, you may be an android user so you can use soundcloud just go on uh, soundcloud.com or download the soundcloud app the yay was created by theater people for theater people if you have a show you want to advertise in the bay area or if you just want to advertise yourself let us know hit us up on twitter snapchat instagram facebook i'm at reg
2: And I'm at Who's Your Who's Your.
0: Mallory, do you have a, um, are you on um, any, um, do you do? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> do well, basically?
1: I guess y- you can start off, um, I have a website. It's more like a portfolio.
0: Um, com.
1: Yeah, Mallory, it's my first and my last name with the dot com at the end of it, and uh, that's where you can see some of the stuff that I've done. And I've I've got some of my produced interviews and uh, writings and stuff up there. So that's where you can find me for now. I'm also on Twitter, but um, it's mostly a mix of like music, culture, and news. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, my – no one's a screen name anymore. Um, my handle is Ecoute, um, which is my, my DJ moniker. So it's EC – uh, the number zero, U-T-E-Z. So I think that's the the easiest way to find me.
0: Yep, and I'll post that as well. So anyone who's looking for a, uh, a producer, um, a writer, director, someone who may want to hire you, um, you can't go wrong with Mallory Samara. <laughs> that is it. And as we always say, we got to find a
2: better sign off. Out. And
0: we <laughs> are out. Yay. Thank Yay. You.